Hey everybody, Jacob Lindsay here from Tasting Anarchy. I wanted to get out a quick mini episode this week. Um, I have had just an awesome week recording. We had this really great one with Jackson Blood, and I, and I have a couple of outtakes that I wanted to give you all. This week, I picked up a bottle of Chateau Los Boldos, um, which is a Chilean wine. It's a Carmenere. I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown on this. I think this is a really excellent wine. It's only $17 a bottle at, at Total Wine, and if you want to try a Carmenere, this is a great one to try. I actually, on the website, had a little bit of a hard time tracking it down, even though I bought it from Total Wine. They seem to have a, either a different label on their website, but I think it's the same one. It's a Grand or Grande Reservera, and it, like I said, it's a Carmenere. This is such an interesting flavor, and I know that the Chilean Carmenere's are, I wouldn't say hit or miss, but they uh, vary in their flavor very widely because... Chile is such a very long country, and they have a very wide variety of climates and temperatures. It's also mountainous, so you have valleys and hills and whatnot. Again, it's Chateau Los Boldos Carmenere Grande Reservera. I do recommend this one. I would say that it is uh, very peppery. It does have some like metallic tastes to it. Uh, as far as like color goes, it's a very, very deep red it is got a kind of an alcoholic effervescence, but also full of a lot of ripe plum fl uh, notes, I guess, for the smell. I, I highly recommend it for $17, especially if you're really interested in trying a Chilean Carmenere. This does seem to be uh, typical as far as I can say typical, because like I said, they, they do you know vary widely. But go ahead and check it out. Uh, that's my you know brief recommendation on it. Uh, the next clip that you're going to hear is some of the outtakes that uh, Jackson and I and then Mason joined us later. Um, before we were talking about the show, Jackson had so much really interesting information, and I was just getting the sound levels right, and he just kept giving me facts and interesting things, and I thought this would make a perfect mini-episode. It's going to be about 20 minutes long total, uh, so if you guys got 20 minutes to just listen to you know a couple of guys talk about cool stuff, Enjoy. Down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine. Drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night. Drinking wine's for the yodi, drink wine. Wine's for the yodi, drink wine. Wine's for the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tear down doors. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wines, go to you to drink wine. Wines, go to you to drink wine. So a lot of it is, this is sort of a traditional difference between, say, Anglo-American consumers and, say, continental consumers. Mm -hmm. It's when you're, is a lot of the way people look at wine in this country is people look at it by grape, which mm -hmm. if you look historically, if you look at, it throughout if you look at it geographically the grape actually isn't as important as the region okay and that's sort of what europe tries to present itself and why you have wine snobs you know the cla you know the classic example of one knowing being able to tell the difference between say one village in bordeaux that's you know five miles down the road from another or even one vineyard that's you know slightly south facing versus one that's north facing because you're dealing with a different angle of sun right so basically 
what the idea of the AVA is and the idea of wine regions are. And to kind of go back to your broader point, the Cote de Bordeaux is that when there's that, these re- is that, sorry, I'm still getting over this illness, but oh, um, that's all right. um, no, but basically what you're, is that these regions can band together and they can do that and they can sell to American consumers using more sort of Cabernet Sauvignon, standard Bordeaux style marketing. Mm -hmm. Whereas generally speaking, the the traditionally the European consumers would want more information. They'd want the village name. They'd want to know exactly where it comes from. Okay. That's super, that's very interesting because I mean, just with, just saying that is like when I walk when I walking through Total Wine, I have the specific grapes that I know that I like, and that's usually where I go. And then yeah. I, and I walk straight past like the blended red section. Almost yeah, all, and almost a lot always. of it is also they they kind of trick you into it by they have say France in one section and Cabernet Sauvignon in another mm-hmm, section. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know looking at that that if you're looking at Left Bank Bordeaux, particularly something from the Medoc, Oat Medoc in particular. Yeah. You, have easily, you know, you know, 70, 80% Cabernet in your blend. And right. when a Napa wine says, oh, it's Cabernet Sauvignon, it actually only has to be 80% Cabernet. Right. It, yeah. Most, and I, and actually, very you, rarely ever find a pure varietal there. Right. And you, and you actually kind of like turned me on to realizing that. And it never occurred to me that, like, I've read it before. And, and Mason and I've talked about it on the show where we'll be like, well, in order to be a Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, you have to have 85% Willamette Valley Pinot Noir in your yeah. wine or whatever. And that's the standard. But it, it never even occurred to me that they would be blending it with something else. Yeah, well, I just I was I thought it would be like oh it's it's just that they also just have this Pinot Noir from somewhere else that they're putting it but it, it when you yeah. actually look at the label and look at the back if if they label it which I don't think is required it'll say like it's eighty five percent Pinot Noir and the you know five percent Petit Verdot and ten percent something else Merlot or something like that more more the case with Cabernet pretty okay. much all Pinot Noir is going to be hundred percent varietal though oh, okay. no matter where you are in the world even France hmm. you won't find I I the only example of a blended Pinot oddly I can think of is a. Uh, Australia, they blend it with Syrah, which is just a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I've had any Australian wines so far since. Oh, really? Mason, yeah, since Mason and I've started getting it, we've had a couple of New Zealand ones because Mason likes uh, Pinot Grigio a lot, and mm-hmm. we've had a couple of Pinot Grigio from New Zealand, I think. Um, but I don't think we've had any. I've had a ton of yeah. South Africa uh, South Africans because I like um, what's their what's their grape varietal? The Pinotage, sorry, which is Pinotage. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know the history of it. I could quickly tell you quick. Uh, oh no, I, I don't. I don't know. I just know I really like that one. It's one of my favorites. Oh, so it, that's actually a, um, a cross between two different grapes that was done in the early 20th century by a doctor in South Africa trying to find, trying to figure out a way to grow Pinot Noir in South Africa, which I'm, I'm sure you know is a much hotter place in yeah, Oregon. Yeah. Um, so what he did was he blended it. Is the uh, the Pinot Noir grape they. Um, they basically bred that with the Cinso grape, which is a much um, hardier, much heavier grape that takes much better to heat, but it's not too heavy a grape either. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what you get the, uh, the basis for Pinotage. They used to call Cinso Hermitage, oh, which okay. was um, a na- another name for Syrah. Everything basically 100 years ago was mixed up. So that's why it's Pino, um, Pinotage. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just actually, I just finished a bottle of that yesterday from... Uh... Ne- needling shafts higher or something like that like some difficult to pronounce south african name <laughs> yeah. but, uh it's uh, the same guys who do owl post but they also do just one that's the the name of the winery or the vineyard and it's it's that one's pretty good and then i 
actually, I finished that one yesterday, and then I opened another bottle last night of. Um, actually, I think you you saw it on Twitter. It was um, a uh, South- Chilean one. Yeah, the Chilean one, which was actually very good. But I think you're like it, it's so interesting about the Chilean wines that I've had is that it's not that necessarily that they're hit or miss because most of them I, I like they're fine, but the, it'll it'll be a varietal and they're just so different from one another and so yeah. and so different year to year too. Yeah, it's a. Basically, it's a really long country, so you have a huge amount of yeah. variation in latitude. That's a big factor in it. A bit, another big factor is it's pretty easy for people to grow wine there. Yeah, it's a favorable climate. Cost of labor is relatively low. You can so you can put out a lot pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. I'm getting I'm get slowly getting into the importing business. So, for example, I was looking into the cost of importing wine from Chile. Okay, um, and I was just shocked. It, Basically, the cost to import the mm-hmm. bottles, including shipping cost, you can get maybe fifty cents a dollar a bottle is what you're paying in shipping cost, all the way from Chile to Los Angeles. Right. Which is, and you're probably going to sell that wine for you. You're going to buy the bottles, maybe fifty cents a bottle, and you could probably get away with twelve, fifteen. So, wow, and a I, lot. Of yeah, and I would think that was a good deal. Like if somebody was like, oh, you know, a twelve, a twelve, fifteen, a twelve dollar bottle of wine is pretty good especially if it's a good bottle of wine yeah the, the um so yeah the difficulty is is basically with wine is there's kind of a point where you have to pay to get quality out of right and, um, to pay basically for the shipping the logistics the labor mm-hmm. and all of that and i find that tends to be around it actually tends to vary more by region than anything else so okay. like if you want a decent napa wine you, you got to pay at least thirty dollars mm-hmm. you want to you know, if you want a decent Chilean wine, you got to pay, I'd say, $15. The new world, you tend to actually have to pay a little more for a better wine in some ways in the old world just because of the way property is owned and the way things operate. Right. Because if you think about it, if I'm a guy in France, I can make a pretty good wine year after year. And I've had the same property in my family 400 years. I own it. <laughs> Speaking of France, oddly enough, France is not very strict if you own the property, if you own a vineyard itself, it's not that bad. Right. But making income in France otherwise. But basically, these guys have almost no baked-in costs. They live on the property. The vineyards are there. All they have to do is pay for the labor and the fertilizer, and that's it. Half of them don't use fertilizer. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, and I saw that like some of them – actually, I saw that uh, one of the big things that's going on in France right now is that like uh, Chinese investors are coming in and starting to buy up a lot of that land. Yeah. Which That's is interesting. The, um, the Red Obsession documentary, I think I sent a link yeah, to that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I saw that uh, I saw that in the preview that it was that that was one of the things. And I've read a couple of articles on like a uh, decanter or something like that about that, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a, you know, once you get money, you want to make yourself look sophisticated. Right. So that's basically that's happened with every kind of up and coming Mm-hmm. Economies, they've gotten into Bordeaux first, and then they get into Burgundy after. Yeah, have you uh, <laughs> have you gotten too much into like the Eastern European grape varietals that um, I've, like Sapervari or Saparavi? And um, yeah, that's a Georgian variety. Yeah, um, it, that's that one because my wife's Ukrainian and she yeah. doesn't she doesn't drink wine, but um, whenever we go to the Russian store or it's not a Russian store, it's the Eastern European store, but they always huh. have tons of it, and I started buying that, and it's interesting. It's it's different. Yeah. 
No, it's Georgia is going to become a huge trend in the next five years. It's already becoming one, but next 10 years, I see that being a huge wine trend. I know that she, oh. was, she was telling me that when she was a kid, uh, Crimea was like the big wine place in Ukraine and people would go down to Crimea and tour the vineyards and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But now because of the whole Russian Ukrainian situation, um, Ukrainians can't get wine in from Crimea because now it's technically part of, or well, the Ukrainians say that it's part of Ukraine and the Russians say it's part of Russia and the EU has made it illegal to import Crimean wine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, yeah. What, they're going back to Georgian wine, which was one of the traditional favorites of the right. Soviet Union. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, and that, that varietal, the uh, Saparavi, I think that's, I think that's the way you say it. Saparavi. Um, Saparavi. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that varietal was the number one grown grape varietal in uh, a red grape varietal in Russia. And then I think the, the white varietal they like is like uh rack, rack de Stelli or something like that. It's like, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's like a or something. Yeah. It's, it's pronounced really, <laughs> really weird, but it's a, it was a very popular white Ryan varietal. Yeah. Well, Georgia's got just a huge winemaking history. I'm oh, sure yeah. you know. Well, yeah, Mason and I have talked a bunch about it. It's like, it, like they've got winemaking evidence going back to like 10,000, years ago yeah like 8000 yeah, 8, bc years, or something crazy which is remarkable yeah and um and, I, and you know the there's there was actually there's a pbs documentary about how to make wine there and they started doing it in oregon also and i'm sure that they, they're doing it other places but like the way that they do the fermentation is it's in these like gigantic uh, clay pots yeah. that they bury they're uh quervis quervis is that what they're called yeah okay yeah that, that's super interesting yeah and that's kind of how, that's how the romans made wine as well okay you know? um Basically, you you hollow that out, you put it in the ground, and you throw a bunch of grapes in it. A lot of the traditional Georgian wine is actually isn't red or white; it's orange, actually, which is oh, really? its own, which is a really unique taste. If you go, a lot of hipster wine bars will have these now. They've mm-hmm. sort of taken over in popularity. But basically, what that is is they use what would be considered a white wine grape, but they let the skin uh, contact. They let the skins fermenter in contact. So oh. basically, you can get the texture of a red wine. So you get the tannins okay. in, in a pretty light orange colored wine, which is just an odd experience, but it's really interesting. Hmm, that, that sounds really interesting. And I mean, you're in the perfect place for hipster wine bars. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, I am too. I live, I live, I live in uptown Dallas, which is. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of there's yeah. a big wine scene in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Well, and surprisingly, like I until we moved here, I didn't realize that there were like Texas wine regions and yeah. and pretty productive ones at that. Relatively. Yeah, I mean not compared I to have like my skepticism just because I think it's I just think Texas is way too hot to grow. Yeah. Okay. Wine long term, and I just you're not going to get the acidity you need. Well, there there are different like the the one varietal that. Um, is here a lot. The red varietal that I like is um, it's a Spanish varietal. It's uh, what is it? Uh, Tempranillo. Yeah, that's it. Yep, exactly. And I think they do pretty good with that. But but sort of to I guess compare and contrast, like uh, a, like a Rioja that is primarily that varietal, I think is much better than most of the ones from here. Yeah, and yeah, and, and often cheaper. <laughs> so if you get the chance, you. Um, you got to buy the Lopez, uh, Lopez Herrera, um, Rioja. Basically it's this old bodega. They've been making it for, you know, centuries and centuries in Rioja and they will get you, um, you can get a aged bottle of really high quality Rioja, say maybe a 2010 vintage right now. And you can get that in a red for, you know, $28 easily. And it's oh, wow. a really phenomenal, one of the best, it's a hundred. 
$200 bottle quality wine and you can get it for 30 bucks still. Wow. Okay. What did you say is Lopez? Lopez de Herida. I'm going to, I'll send you the link. It's okay. a weird long Spanish name. It's really, the problem with wine I find is just the names are just, they're so hard for, to remember. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I know for Mason and me both, like non, neither one of us are good at pronouncing anything. I, I can't even pronounce most English words. Neither can I. <laughs> Yeah, you get that is the thing. You get brutally when you study wine a bit. You just start getting brutally corrected on pronunciation. Okay. Oh, looks like Mason's here. Let me. Hello, Hello. Mason. Yes, Jackson. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I I I would be better if it wasn't like the worst winter storm that hit the East Coast. Except for oh. we're just getting like an inch of rain. Oh, really? But other than that, great. <laughs> yeah, I heard it got. I heard the South got hit by some snow recently. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, which is like right at the Chesapeake Bay. So, like about you know Jacob, like Richmond got a foot of snow. Oh man, that's so, that's a yeah, ton. That's like an hour and a half for me, Jackson. So, like you know, it, it was one of those we had. Uh, so Jacob. Uh, Lisa's birthday is next Friday. So yeah. as kind of a not to give her crappy wine she doesn't like and flowers again this year, we were like, we'll take her to the Norfolk Botanical Garden, go to the Million Bulb Walk. We had everybody over for pot roast tonight, and then we ended up like getting sucked into watching Love Actually, and then I had to take the dog for a walk, and then like... Oh, it's a, a nor'easter times two outside. Yeah. Like supposed to have gale force winds, and it was just awful. So sorry for the delay, guys. <laughs> no worries. You're forgiven. Yeah. So Jack- yes, Jackson is. is in Seattle now. Yeah. Oh wow. One of my favorite cities. Basically, it's been like raining for the past three days here. I, th- is- I think that's Seattle. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, what's different about that? It, so it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I, when I go out there in August every year, I, I love it. it. It does rain sometimes, but it's the weather's like perfect. And yeah. coming from either southeastern Virginia or coming from Texas now, it's like ungodly hot and you get up to the Pacific Northwest and it's just like, it's just perfect right now. <laughs> yeah, when 80 degrees kills people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember last or two years ago, I was out, I was actually where you live, Jackson, and, uh, we were eating at a Thai place and my uncle, who's from, uh, the San Diego area, which it cracks me up that he had this problem because San Diego gets hot. It, it's not ungodly hot, but it's hot. It was like 90, maybe 90, yeah. which was very hot for Washington. Pretty hot for Seattle. And, yeah. And he's, he's, he's like taken off his shirt. Like his, he had like, he's a rocker, like a, like a rock star guy or whatever. So he's got all these layers of shirts and scarves and things like that. So he's taking these off and he's like, Oh my gosh, it's so hot. And I was like, really? I, I think it feels wonderful. It's so, it's so nice out. <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't, if you don't go out of like, if you go into San Diego County, yes, it is that hot, but like San Diego itself, like the city doesn't yeah. really get that temperature. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think well, he's by the coast. You're generally pretty cool. That's true. And he Seattle's lives quite a- inland say it again uh seattle's quite a bit more inland than san diego in some ways that's true in a lot of ways yeah because it's the sound goes in so far it does yeah it's warmer here than i think san francisco during the Mm -hmm. summer yeah well anywhere's warmer than san francisco (laughs) that's true (laughs) that's right i I was just in san francisco two weeks ago and it was uh i I was happy to come back so (laughs) hopefully you skip the pollution uh it was it was it was really rough because those fires were still going on. It was the it was the week that the rain came and kind of started dousing those fires. Oh yeah! But when we landed, the rain hadn't started yet, and it was so smoky. And 
and I was like, man, I forgot how bad it can get when the wildfires are really going here. Because, I mean, that's where I grew up, not in the Bay Area, but I grew up in the mountains and uh, it was, or in the foothills, I guess. But it was, it was a, uh, it, I don't know, it was, it was nice to be reminded about why I'm, I don't live in California anymore, but also kind of reaffirmed my love of California. So it's like, I always have that catch 22 where I go there and like once I'm out of the city and into like places where I grew up or places where I grew up that like are not overly developed now i'm like oh man it's so beautiful here i love it and all that and then when we get back into the city i'm like oh yeah i remember now why i don't like it here yeah i'm one of those people who have to leave somewhere every few months yeah. in order to stay sane you know yeah yeah i i get it so you guys ready to get started sure yeah. jackson was just telling me all sorts of really interesting stuff mason so we'll try to recap some of that in the show